What about the reindeer? Would you please shut up about reindeer? What are their names? Who? The elves. Ah, uh, shit, I can't remember. I, I think one of them's Sneezy and there's a Dopey. And That's the seven dwarves. I shit me. I thought it, I thought I was thinking it was uh I, I don't know fuck kid I just call him you know bub you know I call him I say hey bub or chief or whatever the fuck you know I tell him to make the goddamn toy the fuck is wrong with you I can't remember this shit does everything with you have to be a fucking test How old are they everyone and welcome to Spitting the Real Shit, the only weekly movie podcast made exclusively by, for, and about the online Facebook group The Real Shit. You are catching us on a very special day, because this is our 19th episode ever. With more than half the initial mashups decided on the highest bracket, we talk about some close matches and the Sweet 16, as well as industry news and recasting of popular film characters. But our main focus today is the festive 2003 Terry Zweigoff film, Bad Santa, starring Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, my name is Charlie Thompson, founder, administrator, and bracket master of The Real Shit. And joining me, as always, is my co-host and fellow administrator, the midnight movie maniac himself, Rylan Johnson. How are you, sir? Doing well, boys. Welcome, welcome. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays. I'm excited. And joining us in this uh, holiday-filled show, uh, we have a Real Shit member since 2020, uh, the Murtaugh to Rylan's Riggs, Sean Murphy. How are you? What's up, guys? So glad to have you here. Uh, I know... Uh, I brought a lot of my friends onto the show because uh, they were kind of founding members, you know, and that's how I kind of built the group. But uh, from what I understand, you and Rylan go way back. He, he's been talking about having you on the show for a few weeks now. And so I'm glad we were able to get you on, especially during this uh, Christmas season. I know you brought us a great movie tonight, one that's very near and dear to my heart. So I, I can't wait to talk about it as opposed to last week. <laughs> Hudson Hawk didn't grow on you in a week. You know, uh, Ice, uh, that motherfucker, he really, he really got under my skin because that that song did get in my head. because I was doing the post, right, and I had the Bing Crosby version, you know, uh, and I was like, God damn it, that guy got me. And be better off than you are, or would you rather be a pig? He got me good. Natural musical talent, you know. He's a he's uh, got his own band. Oh yeah, I mean, he's a he's a musician. He's a songwriter. As a matter of fact, I spent a lot of last week looking into like Bruce Willis lore. He's 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 such a unique actor. But uh, first thing I wanted to talk about is the brand new bit of movie news that came across uh, I guess a couple days ago, which is the Warner Brothers announced that they're putting their entire 2021 slate on HBO Max for streaming as opposed to premiering it in theaters, which is a huge move. Huge move. Uh, for any major studio, we have not heard from Universal. We have not heard from Disney about what their plans are going to be. But Warner Brothers made it very official. The last eight months we've been dealing with coronavirus, not going anywhere anytime soon. So they are making moves to to secure their 2021 season. 
And this is the next step. I, I don't. I think I'm mooching off your HBO Max, aren't I, Sean? <laughs> I think so. So I'm, I'm already in. So I'll, I will definitely be excited to watch Wonder Woman on Christmas Day. But I just, you know how I am. I'm a theater guy. So I just really hope the theaters can hold on. I've been saying this since we started this podcast, Charlie. This is the theaters have been suffering for almost a year now going on. So we'll see if they can hang on. I mean, the, the theaters have been losing money for years and years now. It just sucks that they, this is like the the nail in the coffin for the traditional theater trip. Yeah, they're going to have to convert. I've heard of ways of turning it more to like an entertainment facility as far as showing sports. And But I've always felt like this was soon to be our future regardless of a, the pandemic. The streaming services are becoming so exclusive and before the pandemic would you want to spend you know family of four you know you're about 30 40 bucks just to get in the door and you're paying that seven ten bucks a month depending on the service so there's not gonna be a theater on every corner like it used to be you in your city and i'm a big theater guy when it comes to a movie like tenet or a marvel movie you want that sound you want that screen that's the that's the experience Charlie this numerous times it's a place to escape for me you put your phone down you, you're entertained for two hours and you kind of forget about the world so you know it'll be sad if if it's just one or two theaters to catch in your town if you're lucky so right and it's it's such a huge plot of land I'm thinking like a businessman you know, like it's such a huge piece of real estate like they can't just mow it down I don't need another Panera bread in my town <laughs> I want to be able to watch a movie on the big screen. That's the thing. That's the caveat. I would love to keep that going. But you're right. I mean, the market share will, will drop dramatically. You know, those those more rural towns will lose their theater. It'll be more of a, of a reason to go into the city. I mean, there's still a freaking one freaking blockbuster left. So, I mean, there's still a demand <laughs> somewhere. You know, so I, I'm not sure if it's going to get that bad for the theaters across the board. But, I mean, yes, their market share is definitely going to go down. And if, if Wonder Woman is, is a success and everybody jumps on, you know, it doesn't crash the server and everybody has a great time watching it with no buffering, I mean, that's it. That's the one thing that could kill this, um, this streaming debut. you know 50 million people at once on christmas day are going to watch wonder woman and it crashes they have a great excuse Saul boat mentioned though that the, the reviews for wonder woman were sketchy they had to do some reshooting in june i'm excited but also i don't know if the, if the villain um what's her name from snl Kristen wig we'll see i mean i don't like to to prejudge movies with reviews because it, it's always hit or miss so I'm excited. It'll be it'll be fun. Um, Christmas Day. I, I like. I don't really. I never really went to theaters on Christmas Day, so I'll support it. I like. My friends were talking about it last week, and if it's streaming, that's fine. I'll watch the movie that day to pump up the sales and see what happens. So, um, has everybody had a chance to look at the slate of movies coming out over the next twelve months from Warner Brothers? Any ones you're excited about? 
Dune, Matrix 4, uh, and, you know, even a little bit of Space Jam 2, since I love Space Jam so much as a kid. Everybody get up, it's time to slam now. We got a real jam going down. Welcome to the Space Jam. Here's your chance, do your dance at the Space Jam. All right. I'm sure it's not going to be nearly as good, but those are my top three. Who knows on Dune or Matrix 4? I mean, that. I, I think Dune's got a an edge over Matrix. I mean, I'm a huge Keanu fan. I'm a huge Matrix fan, but I just I don't know where they're going with this storyline. Dune, to me, is an original story. I never really watched the, the movie from, I think it was the early 80s. Or read the giant, what is it, a 2,000-page book or something insane like that. So I think with the, the Hans Zimmer... Uh, composer and the direction of dune and this that the idea of it looks really cool to me so i'm excited about that it seems like something that was made for the theaters you know yeah. but but now it's just got to be made for your giant tv with with 3d you know capability if you can theaters are still gonna have these movies you can still go to a theater to watch it so you know yeah I, it's just your choice I thought about it I thought about maybe christmas day going and, and checking out wonder woman live at a at a nice imax but we'll see The movie business has a reputation for being recession-proof. Even when the economy's in a downturn, people want entertainment. But COVID presents unprecedented challenges. Movie studios are coming up with alternative ways to package and distribute content to its customers. Uh, but along with the other uh, features y'all y'all mentioned, uh, we have the the brand new Conjuring come out coming out next year. Uh, we have the the Suicide Squad sequel, which is apparently nothing like the uh, the original. Uh, we have the the long-awaited Godzilla vs. Kong movie coming up. Um, we have The Many Saints of Newark, which is a Sopranos prequel. It takes place in Newark, New Jersey in 1968 or 9. Uh, and it's somewhat centered around... there. Were, I guess there were, like, terrible race riots in uh, at the time. And I don't know how much of it's going to involve the Soprano characters. Uh, my character wasn't even born in the late 60s, so... I won't be, I guess I won't be there. <laughs> You're not going to be in it. The one that I'm really excited about is to see LeBron try and fill Michael Jordan's shoes in Space Jam. Don't both have kids, so I think, it'll, you know, to me it's appealing, but I don't know if I'll, I'll be as excited to see it. If, if you've got some small kids, I think it'll really be fun for them. I'm not much into LeBron as an actor, but I, I love Space Jam. It came out in the mid-90s when I loved Michael Jordan, so it was a fun watch. Well, you know, what's funny is that you can't use that excuse of, I'll just wait for it to come on video. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, nope, it's right there. Just push the button. Uh, and so the other big piece of news that happened this week uh, is we lost a founding member of the Star Wars original production, which is David Prowse, who wore the Darth Vader suit for the first three Star Wars movies. Uh, that includes New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And he also did uh, other other things before the before the prequels, but... That was his main time to shine, and it, I, I feel like if it wasn't for him, the, the the original trilogy wouldn't be near as good as it is. What about your thoughts, guys? Yeah, I mean, for me, Darth Vader is the, is the ultimate villain. I think that presence, I mean, he was a bodybuilder, if I'm not mistaken, so I, I know that he filled that, yeah, he's six foot six, so it, it definitely fills that that scariness, you know, for me as a child, that that walk, you know, when he comes onto the board, uh, he's iconic, yes. and so many masked actors have have so much to uh, to give him for, as far as giving them uh, a leg to stand on in the industry. 
Yeah, he, he gets overshadowed so much by James Earl Jones being the voice, the physical presence. And you're right. When he walked in and he, he it's, you know, it's almost like a Jason with uh, Kane Hodder. They are those characters and they just do it so well with their physical presence. And that's acting. I mean, when you're watching the scene of I'm your father, that's Prowse. That's that's him doing his hand and that's him doing all the acting. I think James Earl Jones got a lot of the credit for his amazing voice, which definitely adds to the character. But Prowse kind of always got overlooked, I think, when it came to who's Darth Vader. And I think a lot of the true Star Wars fans appreciated him, but the average casual fan probably didn't even know who the actor was that was in the suit. And, the, and that, that physical yeah. acting is, is huge to me. I mean, he pulls it off so well, he will be missed. And, uh, you know, it's, it's just sad. All the old Star Wars people are, they're old. They're getting there. We lost Chewie last year. Obviously, Princess Leia it passed away as well. I mean, my heroes are dying. That's how it goes. But, um, yeah, rest in peace to Prowse. Other noteworthy roles is during the Hammer Films era of the 70s. He was uh, the guy who played Frankenstein a lot of the time. And then one role I really remember him from besides Darth Vader is he uh, played the bodyguard of the crippled millionaire after they got after the attack in uh, Clockwork Orange. He carries him down the stairs and like and like puts him in his chair and and whenever they break in again he like he helps he helps stop them you know. So uh, I actually wanted to talk about the bracket for a little bit if you guys are down. Oh yeah. So we have officially gone through about twelve matches so far with uh, eleven going through uh, to the Sweet Sixteen and we have bouts that are locked in. Uh, that we know who we're gonna who they're gonna face each other in the in the Sweet Sixteen, and that is Reservoir Dogs is going up against the Usual Suspects. You got yep. uh, Baby Driver going up against Inception for sure. Bouts in the Sweet Sixteen. Now I know a lot of the movies sometimes it doesn't get the most popularity, so they seem kind of one sided. But the Sweet Sixteen is where the real metal comes through. Yeah, these have been some straight ass whoopings, man. I mean, other other than one, uh, I think are two of these you know, starting rounds, it was 40 to five and 50 to two. And people have their favorite. These heist movies are, it's going to get really good. I think we're going to have some really close nail biters where Charlie has to maybe get a tie. Those are always fun. I like a tie. Yeah. When it's a 70 person vote and you get a tie, it's like, holy shit, what are the odds? Yep. <laughs> like for real, for real. <laughs> um, it's exciting. And, and this is one of my favorite brackets you've done. I mean, it, these heist movies, it's so hard to, to choose sometimes. I mean, you can even call Bad Santa a heist movie, guys. I thought about that. There's a lot that are heist I mean, because on the surface, when you hear some of these titles, I don't think heist. Like with Inception, yeah, it's heist. But I think, like, it's Christopher Nolan. It's it's mind-bending. It's time travel. It's getting into your your dreams and stuff like that. So Of nailing, you know, the, the premise or the just the, the, the bones of the movie, you know. Right, and I, I would call Inception more of a mind bender than I would a heist movie. Right, but I know that a lot of people have seen Inception, and so it, I know it's going to be a contender. There would be questions if I didn't put it in there. I was wrong. National Treasure. But it was so close, though. Man. I know they get. I knew Cage would give him a run for his money, but fuck. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you know, we still we still have one Nicolas Cage movie left in play, which is Gone in sixty seconds. Uh, but we still have two Guy Ritchie films to talk about. Uh, we still have Jackie Brown uh, going up against Point Break. I mean, these are some 90s, you know, tent poles that are going up against each other. And so, and, and when you say one-sided, a lot of these movies are very popular, but but sometimes it's just kind of easy to call. You know, like, just man, there's no way the baby driver doesn't go through. There's no way right, right. that Mission Impossible doesn't go through. There's a lot of comments of like, you know, this was tough. It was a hard one. But ultimately, you have to give it to Die Hard. Like, come on, you got to give it to Die Hard. Welcome to the party, pal. Absolutely dangerous during Christmas. It's iconic. 
everyone knows the line. You what line, know. Sean? What are you talking oh, about? Oh, yeah, line? you want me? Oh, yippee-ki-yay, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I actually popped in uh, Live Free or Die Hard a couple a couple nights ago. It's a steaming pile of shit. I, I hated that movie, but there, there, was some good, there were some good action scenes. But ultimately, it's so forgettable. McLean! Stay with me. <laughs> when you're tombstone, it should read always in the wrong place at the wrong time. Elba, you be motherfucker! I remember being so excited for another Die Hard movie. I was in the theaters, just yeah, John McClane's back. And then within mm-hmm. 30 minutes, I was like, "This is a terrible. I made a terrible mistake." And John McClane won. You know, he's tentative you know he's more survivalist mode and then in that one he's like jumping cars into helicopters and he's landing on f-16s and blowing up highways i'm like this is not the same john mcclain like who who is this guy so it it definitely had to meet 2007's cgi explosive details but yeah it's forgettable it's forgettable for sure well you know um uh, as as much as I love Heat, as much as it, it gets held on a pedestal, with the numbers that came in for this bracket, the highest voted movie was Die Hard. Uh, and it's and it's looking uh, like maybe Ocean's Eleven might be taken this next round, so it'll be Die Hard versus Ocean's Eleven. That might be something to consider, you know, just the numbers coming in, the demographics. Heat might not even make it to the final right, four. Right, exactly. I mean, I, I, think, I think Heat came in with like uh, high 20s in the votes. Fucking Die Hard got over fifty votes, double the amount, and so who knows? You, you never know. Whenever you, whenever a, you know, a matchup just gets posted, like what people were thinking. So, so uh, before we talk about our holiday movie, Bad Santa, uh, Sean, I was wondering if you wanted to play uh, a game with us uh, before we start. Absolutely, let's do it. I want to play a game. The rules are simple. All you have to do is sit here and talk to me, listen to me. Uh, so this is a game that I came up with and I submitted to you guys uh, a little while ago uh, called a recasting. And it's a it's a game we've all probably played as movie fans where we think somebody who could play an iconic role maybe better or any role better really, uh, and just kind of giving your two cents and what you think and why you would why you would recast them in that way. And so the point of the game is we throw out an iconic character in movie lore, and then each of us. Uh, submits an actor or actress that would that we think would best suit that character uh, if, if, if the recasting had to be done. Uh, Rylan, I was going to let you go first with your character. Awesome. You know, I, I had to pick my my hero, my, my boy Indiana, Indiana Jones. Guten Tag, Herr Jones. Russia, mein Herr. Back. Tickets, please. No ticket. We were talking (laughs) how old old, uh, Harrison Ford's getting, and to be honest, he was more than likely going to get recast in this new indie film, Indy 6, but apparently he's coming back, so... I remember Chris Pratt was on the on you know the big gossip that went out the window, and Chris Pratt signed on for two more Jurassic Parks or whatever the fuck he did. But uh, as Indiana Jones, I'm going to let you boys give me your two options, and I'll throw mine in. So we'll go with Sean as the guest. Sean, what is your pick for 
the new Indiana Jones? Well, I went with, I mean, a new Indiana Jones. I, a living actor, uh, I, I said it on Chris Pine, but uh, for an iconic okay. back in the day, uh, I went with Bill Paxton, uh, the late great Bill Paxton from Texas, I might add. The booze hounds return. What a joke. Hi, girls. Feeling kind of queasy. How about a nice, greasy pork sandwich served in a dirty ashtray? I just, he, he always had that kind of charismatic arrogance about him that I think he could pull off. And he's a good looking guy, so that's always important. He, he, he spoke low, just like Indiana Jones did. You know, he, he, uh, he, didn't, he didn't really say a whole lot. He kind of said it in his actions. I mean, but Bill Paxton also has the capacity to talk. I think, I think it's a great choice. Uh, both choices, actually. I mean, because, you know, I mean, Paxton can ham it up, but if he wants to commit to a role, he totally can. One I'm really sad to see go. He, he, he was cut too short. It was, it was a real kick in the, in the gut whenever I found out about that. could not believe it. Because I, I, I think I had seen Nightcrawler, like, two weeks before he died. And I, and I was like, man, we've got to love Bill Paxton, man. He's, he's so good. Like, like you, you never know when he's going to pop up in a movie, you know? He's actually done a lot for the culture of Fort Worth through the movie oh, yeah. industry. Like he's he's brought some big names here. He's helped uh, get you know ground broke on you know arts and you know uh, film appreciation and uh, all, all kinds of you know studies at, at, at junior colleges and colleges around around the state. I mean, so he's he's very uh, he's really given back a lot, you know. Well, the stars are out here in Fort Worth, Texas, as we are preparing for this ninth annual Lone Star Film Festival. And I'm joined here by some amazing people. This is Bill Paxton, of course, Malcolm McDowell, and Joanna Kearns. Very excited about the weekend of events. And Bill, I want to start with you. You're a Fort Worth guy. This is home for you. And I understand that you are a big part of bringing the Lone Star Festival to Fort Worth. What does it mean to you to see how much it's grown? Uh, well, one is rarely a profit in one's own land, but... Uh... <laughs> And I left Fort Worth years ago to go to Hollywood, and I swore I'd only come back either with my shield or carried upon it. That's a great choice, Sean. Now we're going to go over to, to uh, Charlie. What you got, Charlie? You know, I was, I was wringing my brain trying to figure out who the best Indiana Jones could be. And I, it, I, he was on my list constantly, and I kept taking him off. But then eventually, like, he was the only one that kept showing up every time I tried to wipe my list and start over again. And that's Mark Ruffalo. You know, we can use you. Hey, look, man, I just want to survive this and go home. Make a deal with him? What? That's what I would do if I were him. Go to you. He knows what you're capable of. Listen, but man. so do I. Oh, yeah? Well, I know what you're capable of. I know your type very well. Is that right? Is that from your infinite years of experience on the battlefield? Why do you think I should help you? Can you get me out of here? No. Then what are you gonna do for me? Like I feel Ooh. like I feel like he could really own the Indiana Jones role with his stoicness. Like he's 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 shown that he has he, he can hold a big budget. He, he he can actually take a good character that was in potentially you know a real dud of a character and then turn it into one of the most iconic versions of that said character. Uh, you know, with the with the Hulk and Avengers and things like that, and then you've you've also got you know, 
performances like 13 going on 30 or the last castle where he shows you know that vulnerability and also that romantic comedy side where he can't have that charm but he can still kick ass i agree with the charm part but he's i don't know if he's got that ruggedness that you know that that hand to hand yeah that you know the the indie fights and stuff i i don't know if i you know when he pulls out his gun and shoots the swordsman you know <laughs> i think he could pull it off for sure I just can't see him uh, stubble beard and, and the hat and the whip. And I'm not sure about it. I'm not sure, but it's not a terrible choice. Do you think that if it did happen, it would be like a Val Kilmer type situation where it'd be one and done? I mean, that's the thing. When you sign up, sign up for Indiana Jones, usually that's, that's such an iconic character. It's like Bond. Yeah. If Harrison hands the reins over, it's hopefully going to be for a three or four movie deal. But yeah, that's not a bad choice. Ruffalo, he's still, he's got a little soft to him. He's, I don't know. He just seems a little soft to me, but. It was out of left field, but I thought that it was such a great idea. Like, like just, I just kept seeing his face and seeing his mannerisms and being able to, to just totally own that role and the snakes and the Sean Connery being his dad, you know, in, in some capacity. I thought about all that. And that was the only one I kept coming back to was Mark Ruffalo. I'm taking the son of the most rugged son of a bitch to ever play a role. That's going to be Scott Eastwood, Clint Eastwood's son. He's got <laughs> he's got the look. He's a big guy. He's a strong guy. Because if you remember, Harrison Ford in Temple of Doom was shredded. You know, he was a, it was a physical role, and he played it very well. And I think Scott Eastwood would kill it. I mean, he's got the look. He'd look amazing in the hat. Like I said, he's the son of of clint he's got the the scowl i haven't really seen him in too much comedic stuff or or you know the the softer side of indie but i think he could pull it off pretty well i'm sorry to bring stories of bloodshed and kidnapping to your door those things had to be said those men those men are the worst of their kind yeah i i, I don't know much about him i think that's also a big important role if you were to choose a new guy not somebody that's well known that's my point too is the the chris pratt's and the chris pines they've just they've done so much already right even even harrison at the time when when raiders came out in 80 he was nowhere near actor he is now i mean yeah star wars had taken off and he was definitely becoming a star but it is cool the same thing with bonds i love to see a, these these iconic characters get taken by somebody that's hasn't done so much that you just can't you can't think of them as that character Right. So the Scott Eastwood, you know, he's been around, but he's he hasn't really done too many iconic roles or if any, really. He's never been a Marvel character or any of these other things that all the Chris's do. So I think he'd be a perfect fit. It's undeniable that that's Clint Eastwood's son. Right. Like, I mean, it's, it's a spitting <laughs> image. And so I, I think it's a great business model, you know, to get to pluck from obscurity, so to speak. And then and then build that person up to be, a, you know, an icon, but also him knowing what he's signing up for. As, as opposed to like a Mark Ruffalo, he had some leverage. You know, he's like, I'm, I'm playing Hulk. I'm, I, I can't be here in July or whatever. I got to do the Avengers uh, and like just busting balls over there at the indie camp. But Eastwood, I, mean, I feel like he'd be more humbled. He'd be more appreciative and he would put a lot of his time and energy into the role. Uh, so what about you, Sean? Uh, what did you bring to the table for our recasting game? Yeah, so once you guys had told me what to go with, I, I thought of a lot of different actors and then... You know, I have a daughter, so I decided to go differently, and I chose an actress. So I went the great Clarice Starling. I crept up into the barn. I was, I was so scared to look inside, but I had to. What did you see, Clarice? What did you see? Lambs. They were screaming. 
They were slaughtering the spring lambs. And they were screaming. And you ran away? No. First I tried to free them. I, I opened the gate to their pen, but they wouldn't run. They just stood there. You know, it's an iconic female role. Uh, what are y'all's thoughts? And uh, I'll tell you mine. I kind of came in a little late to this. This was kind of a last minute thing because I forgot I hadn't picked an actress for this. But I've been watching The Queen's Gambit on Netflix and Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays the main character in that, is amazing. Excellent. What a brilliant recovery. I resign with relief. I've played your game since I was a small girl. I've always really admired you. You are how old again? I'm 20. Don't tell me. It'll only drive a stake through my heart. <laughs> I went over your games at this tournament. You are a marvel, my dear. I think looks-wise, she could pull it off with the hair and, and the look of Clarice, like Jodie Foster did. Kind of a smaller, strong woman, but a little bit fragile, you know, or it's not a very physical you know, character. It's it's more of a psychological thriller. So she has been so well in that role. It kept me. I haven't binged anything in a long time, and I binged that because of how well she is in this in this show. It's based in the '60s. You know, it's a woman versus men chess players. She just does so well. So I'm picking her. I loved her in Split when she was the the lead. You know, victim. Loved her in The Witch, uh, where she was the daughter of the crazy family. So I I totally think that she can pull this off too. She's got the chops for sure. Yeah, that's my that's my pick, and I'm sticking to it. Me personally, I kind of did a thing where if it was going to be cast again in 1990, what are the actors or actresses that would be in their 30s in 1990? And, you know, I, I did a little Google search and I, I looked and, you know, I, I made my picks. And I finally landed on early 90s Jessica Lang to play Ooh. Clarice Starling. I know about loss, Max. I know about losing time, even losing years. And I know it doesn't come here to jail, but I, I can understand. And I can share this with you because of that, whatever it is that you've got planned. I want you to do it just with me. Uh, all it takes is, you know, some, some brown hair dye. Uh, but like like Lang has already proven that she shows off that that southern accent. Uh, she has the chops. If you've ever seen American Horror Story, like she has that emotion, she can show it, and she can show that fear. She can show that courage. I think she would kill that infrared scene. She could really fill uh, Foster's shoes in that regard. And plus, uh, Jodie Foster was already a one-time Oscar winner whenever Silence of the Lambs came out. If we're doing 1991 again, would have the same resume. She would already have an, an Oscar under her belt. And so the, the marquee is there, you know, the, the chops are there. I, I think that she would play great off Anthony Hopkins. Good choice, good choice. Uh, and I went with a new age actress. Uh, I went with Jessica Chastain. You're chasing a ghost while the whole fucking network goes all around you. You just want me to nail some low-level mullah crackadola so you can check that box on your resume that says while you were in Pakistan, you got a real terrorist. But the truth is, you don't understand Pakistan, and you don't know Al-Qaeda. Either give me the team I need to follow this lead or the other thing you're going to have on your resume is being the first station chief to be called before a congressional committee for subverting the efforts to capture or kill bin Laden. I feel like uh, she could nail it. I've seen her in 
Molly's game. That was that was a killer role that she had. So uh, obviously more delicate of a character, but I, I I like her as an actress. I think she could pull it off. She's got the red hair. I know that. I wonder yeah, who was who was in the casting call in 1991 with Foster. I'm sure it's on the internet. I didn't look it up. It'd be interesting to see who else either turned down the role or just didn't get the role. And so finally, on to me, guys. Uh, I know I gave you all a tough one. The old older version of Vito Corleone, Don Corleone, uh, from the original Godfather, played iconically by Marlon Brando. How did things ever get so far? I don't know. It was so unfortunate, so unnecessary. The guy who lost the son, I lost the son. We're quits. And if the tally agrees, then I'm willing to let things go on the way they were before. But in the world where we were going to recast, I would love to know who you would put in that role. I'll let you go first, Sean. Yeah, you know, we, it took forever. So I went with a, <laughs> a, a guy who I think pulls off any role, uh, and that is the great Benicio Del Toro. She moved to a small town. The rule of law still exists. You will not survive here. You're not a wolf. And this is the land of wolves now. Uh, you know, he could do the accent. Uh, I mean, he's he's very dynamic. He's definitely got the, the Italian look to him. Don Corleone, you're going to throw some makeup on. Marlon Brando's famous for putting, what is it, cotton balls in his mouth to make this Cheeks a little puffier and definitely fill that role. Good choice, Sean. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and hear me out, all right? Because we're talking, this is going to take some makeup, I think. Because <laughs> my choice is Philip Seymour Hoffman. Being a Ooh. redheaded, freckle-faced guy, I know looks-wise you can't maybe see it off the at, at the first, but throw some makeup on this man. Put some cotton balls in his cheeks. I think Philip Seymour Hoffman would be an amazing Don Corleone. I find it quite difficult to comprehend, or more to the point, believe that you believe, sir, that time travel hypnosis therapy can bring world peace and cure cancer. I have never been to the pyramids, have you? No. And yet we know that they are there. Because learned men have told us so. May I ask, what is your name? John Moore. Mr. Moore, if I may. Is there something frightening to you about the causes travels into the past? Frightening? Yes. No. No. What, what's, what, what scares you so much about traveling into the past, sir? I'm not Are you afraid that we might discover that our past has been reshapen? Perverted? And perhaps what we think we know of this world is false information. Uh, this is one of the hardest things I've had to do because how do you replace fucking Marlon Brando in this role? I kind of went out of left field with um, it, just kind of said Philip, Philip Seymour Hoffman's been was rest in peace as well. Um, was always one of my favorite character actors. He, I think he could have filled this role very well. I think he would have pulled it off just like he did anything else. Uh, we were talking before the show, and Sean had remarked about, well, I would usually just recast it with somebody else, but all the all the great actors are already cast in this movie. Pacino and Khan and all those great actors. Who could totally pick up the mantle if they needed to, but they're already in the fucking movie. So Philip so Seymour Hoffman was just terrible, huh? Not a good one. He's capable of doing anything. 
uh, especially back in like if if Philip Seymour Hoffman lived in 1971 and somebody gave him that role, I think he would commit to it and I think he would fucking kill it. That's what I think. There you go. Uh, yeah. So for me, um, I'm I'm doing another you know back in the day how old they would be blah 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 blah, and I went with Paul Newman as Don Corleone. We doubt ourselves. We doubt our beliefs. We doubt our institutions. And we doubt the law. But today you are the law. You are the law. Not some book. Not the lawyers. Not a a marble statue or the trappings of the court. See, those are just symbols of our desire to be just. If uh, you've seen enough Paul Newman films, like you know he kind of has a a funnier side, but a lot of his films are very serious. A lot of his films, you know, have that kind of grit to them, especially the post-Redford days. Uh, where he kind of went on his own. And I think that he would completely murder this role. I think that uh, he would have a presence. I think that he had the ego, just like Marlon Brando did during the filming. Um, I think that uh, that, that would have shown through. Um, and I think he, he would have he would have gotten the same accolades, in my opinion, as uh, Marlon Brando did when he did Vito Corleone. Newman is is the man. He, he's he's iconic. He's pretty... Pretty pretty much as iconic as Brando is in my eyes. So, uh, yeah, great choice, man. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we were talking about Ed Harris a couple weeks ago, and I think Ed Harris would murder this role. Yeah. Fuck yeah, dude. Yeah, you know I love dude. my boy Ed. Yeah. And he's got that thousand yard stare, just like just like Vito does. You know <laughs> that everything about Brando is present in the Newman being, and I think that he would he would absolutely murder it. I think that if that were the situation, they'd be talking about Newman and not Brando. So. With the reboots going on, are they ever going to reboot The Godfather? Well, aren't they going to do the uh, part three uh, director's cut? Yeah, I thought I was roaming the internet and saw some quote from Andy Garcia that said that he liked the reshoot or the director's cut, but he, he didn't know why it was getting released. They'll fucking murder anything. They don't care anymore about legacy. and Right. <laughs> Godfather could be up in the next few years. Who knows? If they do it right... They could definitely remake it and, and make it better, but how much better? I don't know. Well, you also got to think, you know, on the back end, the, the Godfather is a Paramount property. Yes. And, and then Disney eventually bought out Paramount. And so now Godfather is a Disney property. And so I wonder, I wonder what they would do with it. What kind yeah, of that's... fucking world are we living in, man? <laughs> Disney owns everything. They're, they're the mega company. It's going to be Disney and Amazon. That's all we're going to have. As long as I get my packages and, and you know I, I get my get my cinematic universes done, right? <laughs> I'll go Wally all the way on this shit. I don't give a fuck. <laughs> so uh, I, I wanted to do a little trivia for you guys before we started Bad Santa. So we, we talked about Vito Corleone. Vito Corleone was played twice by two different actors who both ended up winning Oscars for their performances, and that was Marlon Brando for Godfather and De Niro for Godfather Part Two. Does anybody know the other iconic character that was played by two different men who both ended up winning Oscars? Hell no. (laughs) 
I like to do this trivia because nobody ever really thinks of it. But Heath Ledger won for the Joker uh, back in 2009. And then Joaquin Phoenix came back in 2020 and won the same, uh, won an Oscar for the exact same character. Oh, no, no, no. No, you cannot joke about that. Yeah, that's not funny, Arthur. That's not the kind of humor we do on this show. Okay. I'm, yeah, I'm sorry. It's just, you know, it's been a rough few weeks, Murray. <laughs> Ever since I killed those three Wall Street guys. Being such a big Batman fan that it just that didn't even hit. Well, because they're because so, they're so different. They're so different. Yeah. My yeah. Xbox name since 2007 has been Why So Serious. So I should know this. <laughs> but yeah, if you ever at uh, you know a house party or something, you want to impress somebody. There you go. That's uh, that's a fun little fact. So uh, oh, you guys ready to talk about uh, some Billy Bob Thornton and some massive alcoholism and sodomy <laughs> and Christmas? <laughs> uh, so let's take a let's take a deep dive into the 2003 Terry Zweigoff directed Bad Santa, starring Billy Bob Thornton. You have all been chosen for the starring role as Santa Claus. <laughs> What do you want? What are you doing? When it came to holiday spirit... The who's here? It's Santa. I'm on my lost bike, okay? Willie's never had it. It's not real. Well, it was real. I got sick and all the hair fell out. How'd you get sick? I loved a woman that wasn't clean. Mrs. Santa? No, it was her sister. Oh, no. But he's gonna get it. You're that kid. Where's your sleigh? It's in the shop. Where are the reindeer? I stable them. Where's the stable? Next to the shop. How do they sleep? Are you messing with me? There's something about the guy that makes me uneasy. Maybe there's something I could fire him for. A man is a sexual being. Yeah. Now, a hopeless kid. Wedgie. And a Santa nobody liked. Are teaching each other a lesson. Is that your underwear? Part of it. Where's the rest of it? Actually, I don't want to know. On November 21st, put your dukes up. You're going to learn to stand up for yourself. Oh, no. Scream at him. Ah! Gee. He is pathetic. Scream! Be loud! Ah! You don't hit in the... What's wrong with you? He's just a kid. I told you I didn't want to do this. Huh? Good. This holiday season, the naughtiest guy in town just might discover he's a really sweet kid isn't he yeah i guess so how to be nice good night santa good night mrs santa's sister billy bob thornton so do you like kids what do you think i'm some kind of pervert or something i just mean because you're santa claus huh bernie mac Get him out of here. What do you mean, get him out of here? I'm a dwarf. So unless you got a fork lip handy, maybe you should lend a hand, hmm? Got some lip on you, Mitchell? Yeah? Well, these lips were on your wife last night. Tony Cox. Bad Santa. I beat up some kids today. But it was for a purpose. It made me feel good about myself. You need many years of therapy. So, um, what did y'all want to talk about first on this movie? Because I, I know what I wanted to talk about first, but I, I wanted to give you guys the floor uh, on something that you want to talk about initially. Sure. So I, I just want to tell my story of how I first saw this movie. 
Um, I was 13 at the time, and my parents said, we want to go see a Christmas movie. Let's go see Elf. Oh, beautiful. <sighs> Looks like a Christmas tree. And we went to the movie to see Elf. And it was sold out. And they were like, well, Bad Santa, do you want to watch that? And I said, have you guys seen the previews for that? They said, no, but it's Christmas. Let's watch it. I was 13. I said, hell yeah, let's go watch a radar movie. And that was how I watched Bad Santa with my parents floored because they couldn't believe what I had made them see. And them kept shielding my eyes the entire time. And they were very angry to know that I had tricked them into seeing Bad Santa. But because of that, it's become our family staple of a movie. Um, my, bro- my brother and I have played drinking games to it. Uh, I, I probably quote this movie so many times that when Ryland said, pick a Christmas movie, I was like, I got it. Like, it's, it's, it's Bad Santa. It is everything that you hate about Christmas summed up into a movie uh, and everything that you love at the same time. So it perfectly encapsulates how your mood is every holiday season, I feel like. Oh, it's such a great way to say that. Uh, what about you, Ron? Do you remember where you were the first time you watched no, Bad Santa? I, I don't remember it, it vividly. I, I do remember being a pretty big Billy Bob Thornton fan. He was just kind of a dirtbag in life at the time. I looked back at him. And I'm like, oh, my God, that's right. He had the weird thing going on with Angelina Jolie making out, talking about having sex in the car and all this stuff beforehand. And I'm like, this guy, Billy Bob Thornton has something. I don't know what it is. He's got swagger. I don't know how he pulled a – and this was in 2000, 2001, 2003, in that area, in that time. I mean, how do you pull an Angelina Jolie when you look like Billy Bob? I think it was today. Angelina! <laughs> my favorite one in a car was today, no, just before we got here. Is it, what is this, MTV? I'm sorry. Okay. Well, here's... You want me to be honest with you? We f***ed in the car on the way here. Yeah. And it was the most exciting thing. Uh, yeah, every time it is. I mean, this guy's got something going on. I don't want to know what it is, but uh, I, I don't remember seeing it in the theaters, but I do remember hearing a... Because I, when I was younger, I did love Christmas. Then I kind of got... I'm, I'm, I'm coming back towards... Uh, liking Christmas again, but I was a Scrooge oh. as, a, as a young adult. I was kind of mm-hmm. over, I was working in the service industry. You're always taking these big parties and these people, these holiday things, and they are, they're all cheerful, but I'm stuck at work. So this was kind of my movie. This was the movie for us Scrooges, finally, a, a Christmas movie that wasn't all fucking rainbows. And to me, I loved it. it, it talk about dark humor. It's more, it's the darkest of dark humor. So I was uh, loving every minute of it. I believe I caught this on a blockbuster rental. But I got the unrated version. There was, you know, hell yeah. There's a famous unrated version that has a little bit more. Batter Santa. Yes. Yeah, Batter Santa, <laughs> which I thought that was the worst name for it. And then I've seen both versions now, and I believe the theatrical cut is better than the unrated version, in my opinion. Because I was watching the, that's what I watched this time around was the unrated version. I was about to quote stuff, and then they they took that out for the unrated version. I watched Bad, Batter Santa, and I didn't, I didn't really get it the first time I watched it. And um, I was living with my parents at the time, and the only TV that had a DVD player was the living room TV. And uh, my parents were real light sleepers, and so I had to keep the volume. I had to be very surgical with my volume. 
on the TV, you know, like you have to have the, the you know the TV remote in your hand, you know, in case an explosion or a crash happens, you can turn it down real quick. And so I guess I guess the first time I watched it, I was more focused on just not waking my parents. But um, all I'm saying, they're gonna get a. I I'm just which which knock knock. Who's there? Lush. Let me tell you a little story about a man named Shh. Even before you start. That was a preemptive shh. Just know I have a whole bag of shh with your name on it. And so I think I think the one thing that really came through on that viewing was the John Ritter talking about how Bob Billy Bob Thornton told that chick that that she wasn't gonna <laughs> shit right for a week and how he had to spell it out to Bernie Mac. I thought that was hilarious. A couple of days ago I was in uh, Women's Big and Tall. And uh, I heard these, <clears throat> um, you know, these noises. And I heard a woman screaming, yeah, oh yeah. And I heard his voice saying, that's right. You ain't going to SHIT right for a month. And, uh, and so it wasn't until subsequent viewings where I fell in love with this movie. I think the casting is probably one of the strongest suits of this entire film. I mean, just look at Thurman's character. Yeah. I mean, they could have gone with anybody to play that kid. But instead, they went with one of the most awkward-looking children I've ever <laughs> seen in my life. <laughs> I think that's what put me off the first time I watched it. I was like, who is this kid? Like, he's so incredibly awkward, and he's... I, I, don't, get, I don't get it. I don't, I don't understand why they went with this kid. Who the fuck is Thurman? Is that you? Is your name Thurman? Yeah. Thurman Merman. Yeah. Jesus. I'm a huge John Ritter fan. And the, the scenes between John Ritter and Bernie oh, Mac, Mac. I, I just watched it two days ago. I was in stitches. I miss John Ritter. I, he was another one gone way too soon. Uh, same with Bernie Mac. But their just chemistry in their scenes is just it's the best. You've also got a, a very good-looking Lauren Graham in there. But she, oh, yeah. Lauren Graham has got that... Um, God, she's the girl from Weeds. She kind of looks like Mary oh. Louise Parker to me. Very, very Mary Louise Parker-esque. But she plays the the sex appeal. The uh, so, Like I said, I don't know what it yeah. is about Billy Bob Thornton, but he can he can pull these girls, apparently. I've always had a thing for um, Santa Claus, <laughs> in case you didn't notice. It's like some deep-seated childhood thing. So is my thing for tits. Yeah, it is like that, though, you know, from when you're a kid. <laughs> Cloris Leachman is the grandmother. Um, I mean, I, I, some I, sandwiches. I, still, I mean, I mean, we we watched it the other night, me and my wife, and we love that scene where they show up and they think she's dead. <laughs> oh my god! And and, and and we we watched it together, and we still laughed our asses out. We we, we knew what was going to happen, and we were still just like, "That's so fucking fuck." I cannot imagine being in that position. Hey there, Granny. Oh, Granny. Oh my god. The fuck? I feel shit. Roger! God! Ah! Oh, damn it! Shit! Jesus Christ! Please, for Christ's sakes, just let me get you something. some sandwiches. We can't, we can't miss out on Tony Cox, too, as Marcus, the, the, the little oh. person. I mean, he's and he was... the perfect combo to, to a shitbag of a human being and Willie. Yeah. You know, he's the one that tries to to keep this guy 
on a somewhat straight path, but it's just not going to happen. And there, the comedic value there, obviously, some of his lines are I mean, like, what are you, a Sigmund sawed off fucking Freud? <laughs> no, no, no. This is not a handicap thing. I, I have nothing against you people. You people? Did you hear that, Marcus? He said, you people. You people. Who the hell is us people? Wait, wait, no, no. I, you don't under... What? Yeah, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the Hindu guy that comes in. <laughs> I've always loved that scene where I still don't know why they made that scene where he just goes to fight Santa and, and Willie's like, my brother killed you fuckers in Vietnam because he doesn't know why he's being assaulted. But yeah, just those, those little scenes where they have, I mean, from the guy, uh, he wants you to put sand in the bag and put a candle. I mean, they nail what it is like to be annoyed with that Christmas aspect and with just that sandbag thing. Just fucking leave it in the garage. I'll get to it. Like, like okay, gotta go, buddy. I gotta... Uh, that's, that's so funny that you mentioned that scene because that's that's one of the scenes that attributed to my not liking the movie. I'm trying to really shoehorn uh, an office space joke uh-huh. okay. into the movie. I mean, I mean, he even says ass clown right before he leaves. <laughs> My brother lost a goddamn arm fighting you fuckers in Vietnam. So I want you to look at me. I want you to look at my face one last fucking time. This is the last thing you're ever going to see before I... El fucker! Turn it out, el fucker! Who's the bitch now, Santa Claus? Santa Claus! Santa, Santa, go! Little boy, don't interfere. I'm doing this for all of us. Leave Santa alone! Ass clown. You know, like, like literally, uh, and and so and so, like that put me off. I was, I was like, do they not have anything better, like in this movie to show me, except for like a, a lame Office Space reference, right? <laughs> um, but again, like I said, years have passed. I've watched the movie several times, and I love it to death. So, but I really wanted to talk about. I mean, think, I think this is the first movie on our entire history, Ryland, that is a Miramax. Dimension Weinstein film. This is one of those movies where we wouldn't have it without Harvey Weinstein. Harvey Weinstein's is talk about dirtbags. You know who Harvey Weinstein is. Mm-hmm. And so when the headline broke about it, like you're like, wait, what? Like, because he was a heavy hitter. Because we wouldn't have a lot of the iconic movies we have today without the back end help of Harvey Weinstein, you know, distributing it or even getting it made. Now to the latest on Harvey Weinstein, the New York Times reporting allegations by numerous women who say the Hollywood mogul sexually harassed them. His alleged victims over nearly three decades include stars like Ashley Judd and Rose McGowan. Uh, and this is then, and Bad Santa was one of those movies that he saw from beginning to end on the production because he saw Ghost World, which was the feature film that Terry Zweigoff did before Bad Santa. He hit up the director and he said, I want to make a Terry Zweigoff film. What's it going to take? Uh, I'm not sure if you know this, but the, the, the Cohen brothers were the people who created the story for Bad Santa. Uh, they, didn't, they didn't have enough time to actually write a script, so they hired a couple of screenwriters. But the original idea came from Joel and Ethan Cohen. They came to the studio, I think it was Universal Studios, and said, hey, I have this idea. They're the Cohen brothers anyway. So like, oh, sure, we'll take a look at it. And so they took a look at it, and they're like, "No, that's a hard no. Sorry, guys, we can't, we can't do the the hard R Christmas movie. Sorry about that." It eventually wound up in the hands of Miramax. He wanted to put a director with a good script, and this was all Harvey Weinstein's idea. 
because uh, I believe a James Gandolfini was slated to be the the original Willie, the original bad Santa of this movie. And that was also a Harvey Weinstein change, was, was to make it Billy Bob Thornton be the character. Okay, you don't drink, which is smart on your part. But being sober can put you at a disadvantage when it comes to violence. Me, I can't box worth a shit, see? But I'm good in a fight because I can't feel anything. You, you're going to feel everything. Uh, and so, and so, like, you can't talk about this movie without talking about him and his contributions to the film. And But I don't think it, it, it affects the film at all. I can compartmentalize easily the art from the artist. James Gandolfini is just too big. And, I mean, he, he would definitely play a better Santa, but I think that's the point of, of getting, a, at the time, a pretty skinny Billy Bob. He just looks like a shitty alcoholic that can't play Santa for shit, but somehow pulls it off. <laughs> and, I mean, can we talk about how the bad Santa role kind of pigeonholed Billy Bob for a lot of years. Like he just, he all he kept getting offers on was just the sloppy drunk baseball coach or the sloppy drunk, you know, highway patrolman or the sloppy drunk, you know, whatever. Uh, and so it, it really, it really hurt his career in the long run. Cause he, he was an Oscar winner, you know, he's an Oscar winning writer. Maybe cause bad Santa wasn't that long ago. Uh, they're going to draw those parallels, but really, I mean, it stops at, you know, the guy drinks beer and smokes cigars and he curses. But you can say that about a lot of people, you know, and a lot of characters in movies. Uh, I guess simply because there were kids involved in that one or kids involved in this one. But yeah, there's some similarities. Yeah. But, then he, but then he got the bad Santa and uh, next thing you know, he's in Bad News Bears playing the exact same fucking character. We all know it's for a paycheck, you know. Yeah, I mean, the character, and, and, you know, he comes from Armageddon, you know, two completely different looks and characters and vibe and thought about the Bad News Bears, you know, remake he did. But, yeah, you're right. What was the last movie he's been in? I, I can't even think of one in the last two or three, five years. I know that he's got a series on Amazon called Goliath. <laughs> and then he had he was in uh, he did season one of Fargo, where he plays the assassin. Right. And that was he was he greatness in that Good morning, young fella. You have a package for me? Alrighty, what's your name? Why? So I can find the package. Duluth. I'm sorry? The package is addressed to Duluth. That's uh, a city. I need your name. I told you my name. Your name's Duluth? Well, uh, I'll need to see some ID. But I don't know, yeah, I don't think he's done any movies recently. The only reason, I, I hate to keep throwing fun facts at you guys, the reason why John Ritter is in this film is because Billy Bob Thornton met him on a sitcom like a decade earlier. And subsequently, Billy Bob put him in Sling Blade. He put, he put John Ritter in Sling Blade as a, as a dramatic role. And then later on, he just kind of kept throwing Ritter roles. You're, well, you, you've got your affliction or whatever, and I, well, mine's not as easy to see. I'm just going to say it. I'm gay. Does that surprise you? That I'm gay? You know what gay is, don't you? I don't reckon. Homosexual. I like men. Sexually. Not funny, haha, funny queer. Mm-hmm. Well, that's a very offensive way to put it. You shouldn't say that. 
you you just kind of like you're my homie, you know, like like uh, like like the same way that Michael Clark Duncan and Bruce Willis kind of work together. Like they're just homies, you know. Like, hey, I got this new movie. You need a big guy. I think that was pretty cool uh, of him to 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 kind of throw in those roles. I've always heard Ritter was just one of the best dudes in Hollywood. Just one of those good guys. So it's good to see that Billy Bob took him on and and gave him a couple roles here. So from what I understand, they were the best of friends. Like they just. They really just connected on on a, on a whole other level. So, but it just sucks that this was John Ritter's last role. This is this is one of one of the other landmarks of this film is that is the last piece of anything that John Ritter ever did on screen. I'm so glad it came out good. <laughs> you know, let's talk our favorite yeah. scene. What do you guys have? Do you have a favorite scene out of this movie? I have a favorite moment. My favorite moment is whenever the kids are waiting for Santa. Marcus is like really trying to calm the kids down, the parents. And the next thing you see, you see a fall down drunk Billy Bob Thornton just getting glided up the escalator. He has, he has, he has a broken wine bottle in one hand. And he, and he's like stumbling through and he, uh, he, he mulls over some presents and like a nativity scene. And then uh, he like runs over a donkey, and then he sees like another donkey, like kind of staring at him. And so he gets into a fist fight with the fake, you know, paper mache donkey in front of all these kids and parents. And like, like he himself is having like a traumatic experience. Like he's so scared of these of these donkeys. And Classic. so, and so then when he finally gets done beating up the donkeys, he's like he crawls to his chair and he goes, "I pissed myself." <laughs> and that's my favorite moment in in the whole movie. Uh, my mine's uh, definitely when he's sitting in the food court and he's sitting there <laughs> munching on a salad and the mom brings up her little two, three-year-old boy and goes, here, honey, look who it is. He turns over and screams with salad spitting out of his mouth. I'm on my fucking lunch break, okay? <laughs> Are you insane? Management's going to hear about this. Take that to threat? If you think you can make my fucking life any worse, you go right ahead. Be my fucking guest. Take a shot. Oh, it's just classic, classic, just shitbag Billy Bob Thornton. The, mm. when, the, when the food flies out of his mouth, I'm like, yeah, that's an Oscar winner right there. Mm. I think for mine, um, I quote this line probably anytime somebody tells me something bad. Um, it comes from where he has eaten all of the chocolates out of the advent calendar, and Thurman opens his advent calendar the next day and says, I got a candy corn, and this one's a Tylenol. And Billy Bob goes, well, they can't all be winners, now can they? <laughs> and that has always stuck. I say that all the time. And anytime I think or ever see an advent calendar, I always think of that moment uh, of him putting Tylenol back into an advent calendar. Looks like someone messed with my advent calendar. What are you talking about? Let me see. Nobody messed with it. It looks fine. But yeah, I've, I've always loved that advent calendar scene. Did you guys ever catch uh, Bat Santa 2? I did. You can skip it. It doesn't ruin the allure because they added Kathy Bates. So um, mm -hmm. she plays Billy Bob's mother, but mm -hmm. she's a shitbag as well. So, I mean, it's pretty predictable. Uh, and it, do it doesn't live up because yeah. he's, not, he's know, not a ball Santa anymore. So I feel like they really caught lightning in the bottle with the first uh, Bad Santa for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. uh, whether it be the script or the actors involved or the director or the location or, or whatever, like Ryland says, it you know it, it goes on all cylinders, 
Uh, what are some of the ones you love uh, to quote all the time? Uh, I, I remember in my early 20s when I was, you know, just uh, piss and vinegar, when I would just say anything. Uh, anytime anybody t- uh, talked about any kind of performance. Yes, uh, your performance, you know, the um, performance like sexual. Excuse me? Willie. Are you saying there's something wrong with my gear? Is that what you're saying to me? I'm sorry, your gear? Willie. My fuck stick. So raunchy. You know, this movie has him fucking a girl in a in a in a uh, dressing room, and it, the line "You ain't gonna shit right for a week." I mean, that's just—I can't believe a thirteen-year-old Sean was sitting next to his mother when that line would spit out. Because I know she was just like, "Oh my god, what have I done?" Yeah, I mean, the other line where he's talking to the to the girl, he's like, "You smell like a bum's nutsack." <laughs> the darkest comedy you can find, and I love it. I fucking love it. But let's talk about the ending. Let's talk about how this does kind of have a heartwarming kind of end to it. Does it not? You know, I, I wrote down his his black heart is still beating. It's a very Grinch-esque, you know, ending where his heart grows four times larger when he's trying to get that pink bunny to the kid. Elephant. Elephant. There is some heart to it. There is a little black. I think the second half definitely shows Willie does have somewhat of a heart with the kid and it you does well round out the movie a little bit. It's not just a dark comedy. It kind of ends out on somewhat of a Christmas vibe, I would say, I guess. But there is a little bit of there is a little bit of depth there at the end. Yeah, where he's, where he's like, I beat the shit out of some kids today. Yeah, I was going to say, that's probably a good line, too. <laughs> Made me feel but, good about myself. <laughs> it's so fucking funny. Tony Cox is like, man, what the fuck is wrong with you? I love the letter that gets narrated at the end. He still uses the same terminology that Thurman does. And then he said he'd see him again next time he's, he comes by to fuck Mrs. Santa's sister in the jacuzzi. Like, he's not even looking forward to seeing the kid. He's just looking forward to fucking Mrs. Santa's sister in the jacuzzi. Anyway, just in case I took it as evidence, I'm also sending you a t-shirt. I hope it's the right size. I'm healing up good, and they tell me that I will soon be 100%, even with eight bullets dug out of me, because they didn't hit any vital organs. Just my liver, which is fucked anyway. Ha ha ha! What cons? What's what, I, I can't really think of too many. I think it's a, for what it wants to do. Um, it does it. There's really nothing I could take away. The, the casting's great. The directing's pretty good. Cinematography's not a big deal in this movie. So, what would you guys take away? That's that's a con. Uh, I guess they. I guess going back to the the scene with the the I am not gay and the little boy. You need to. <laughs> I, th- I thought that scene was so unnecessary. And, yeah. and it, it did nothing. To, it did nothing to drive the plot further, except for the meeting of Thurman and uh, Willie. But yeah, I, I feel like they could have done that in any any way. You know, they could have done that in any way, shape, or form. And like the the Bernie Mac stuff with the kid with the MP3 player and the the salon. He's at the spa getting his his, his toenails done. But I still quote it. I still go, yeah, that's it. I still say that. But I, I thought it was completely unnecessary for for the purpose of this movie. Baby, 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 don't use that one. That's not the stuff. Use something with some gloss to it. Yeah, that hard candy, that's it right there. Let me get some of that. Yeah, that's it. Okay. I don't have too many cons. I always thought that the relationship with Lauren Graham was excessive. I guess she was the driving force on also to make him a nicer human being as well. So that maybe that was character development. But anytime I see an orange or an eat an orange, I always think of Bernie Mac. But no, I don't take too many cons away. If you're listening and you haven't caught 
Bad Santa. I highly recommend it if you've got a sense of humor. It definitely didn't get remade today. That's for sure. (laughs) God, this movie's almost 20 years old. That blows my mind. But yeah, I think there's not much to take away from it. It, it, For what it is, it's just gold. Some of these lines, you just, you don't see these in movies anymore. It's just, it's fucking hilarious. And I love it. I love that it gets dark, dark, you know, almost black. It's a black comedy. (laughs) (laughs) We hit on most of my notes, but the last one I have is, did y'all notice that Octavia Spencer uh, cameo? Yes, yeah, she's the prostitute. She's the prostitute. She's who also shit right for a week. Shit, right? <laughs> hey, Opal, come here. Uh-uh. Screw you, Willie, your kinky ass. Last time I didn't shit right for a week. No, it's not that. Just come here. I need to talk to you. How do you, Willie? Ooh. Who the fuck is in my room? Did you see somebody go in my room? Yeah, some guy asking about you. Looked like a cop. Oh, shit. Yes, yeah. uh, I, I believe it really hits on the consumerism of America, American culture, and then the willingness to forgive during Christmas. And, and, and to blindly forgive. And I, I think it really plays on those traditional you know, thoughts of you know, America and you know, you, you can't be mad at them. It's Christmas, you know, like stuff like that. And they're like, fuck you. Yes, I can. Like, not all of us are living this storybook fantasy world like you are, you know? Just the way and, he treats the kids, you know, he's like, get the fuck out of you, snot nose, <laughs> little fraggle stick. What the fuck's a fraggle stick? You know, it just, it's totally that <laughs> as a parent, when your kid asks for something, I'm sure you're like, what the fuck does he want? Like, all right, tell Santa. <laughs> like yeah. all right, like you you asked for that for him, so I can only imagine what Santa's real Santas deal with. They really showed Willie in a in a real alcoholic light. Oh, they... you know, like yeah. like I mean, the first the first thing you see is him drinking in a bar and throwing up behind it, and then the next bit you see is uh, you see Marcus turning off the alarm system, which takes thirty seconds. And then he opens the back door, and you see Willie finishing off a beer, but you see that he already has, like, seven other empty beers, like, on, on the ground next to him. Like, it took him 30 seconds to drink all eight of those beers. I would say that he's the most alcoholic character I can think of in a movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. you, 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 I've seen some guys throw some back in movies, or those just really bad alcoholics, but Willie's way up there. I mean, he's pissing himself, banging. He's trying to bang you know, underage girls and just <laughs> yeah, the thing. Yeah. He hits on every scumbag level there is, so. Is that it? Yeah, that's the last one. Thank the fuck, Christ. Jesus, Mother Mary and Joseph, you piss yourself. <sighs> oh, Jesus. I think you could have cast anyone better than Billy Bob Thornton to pull it off. Like, could you imagine getting drunk and waking up to some screaming kid with blood all over his hands, waking up an elderly woman who always talks about making sandwiches, and like having to figure this thing out, and uh, and then he he tries to help him out by pouring vodka on his injury, it doesn't it doesn't help at all. And then right before he leaves the kitchen, he takes a big old swig of that vodka, <laughs> like, and it's like eight in the morning or whatever. Yeah, right. I. I I remember binge drinking in my early 20s. I remember doing that. I remember waking up ten and drinking, you know? And so I did, like, it's the way they showed it, they were towing a real thin line, 
Like it could have gone the other way real easily, but they stayed in that comedy realm. And so I, I commend them for doing that. Uh, any other thoughts on this movie, guys? Oh, it was a great pick, Sean. I mean, if you would have picked uh, the Santa Claus with Tim Allen, I don't think we would have had as much fun. I'm, yeah, I'm, I was glad to be a part of it. I remember somebody had posted on the group before the bracket had started. It was pick your four favorite Christmas movies or whatever, and, and yeah. Bad Santa wasn't on that the list. And I remember I, I, I picked that one as I, I put it in as my write-in vote because I was like, it's. It's what you need with all the Santa Clauses and elves and Christmas stories out there. You know, you need that. Like you said, Ryland, you worked in that service industry aspect. So you got tired of seeing people enjoy their holiday. (laughs) (laughs) How many times can you hear Mariah Carey? Fucking shit. Shoot me now. Yeah. Yes, I, I love this film. It was really fun. I'm excited about the the bracket coming up, and in the next few weeks, we've got some more good shows coming up. Charles, yes, we've got the movies hashed out. We have another new new member joining us next week, named Ryan Crossley. Uh, he actually joined us for our live episode, and uh, we wanted to make sure we got him on. We're talking sports movies with him this week, and then we have a really good surprise for you the following week. But yes, Sean, thank you so much uh, for coming on the show. I, I know it's late. Uh, but uh, we really appreciate your time and uh, had a great time uh, talking Bad Santa and meeting you. And uh, we can't wait to see you on the feeds, man. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. I had a lot of fun. For Sean Murphy and Rylan Johnson, I'm Charlie Thompson, and we have been spitting the real shit. Uh, We'll see you guys next time. Now. in the shop getting repaired where are the reindeer i stabled them is it left or right that way where's the stable next to the shop how do they sleep where the reindeer standing up but the noise how do they sleep what noise from the shop they only work during the day all right i thought it was always night in the north pole well not now right now it's always day then how do they sleep oh shit sage terrace what is it with you anyway? Somebody drop you on your fucking head? On my head? Well, yeah, what are they gonna drop you on somebody else's head? How can they drop me onto my own head? No, not onto your. Uh, what? God damn it! Are you fucking with me?